Good morning and praise the Lord on this wonderful Lord's Day of celebrating the risen Christ, the celebrated church, a bride in which he will return for. Amen. It is important for us to pay close attention. It it can be very easy to go through our liturgy and just read it and and just listen to it. And some of the things uh, I'm noticing this morning here with the the consecration through the reading of the word, uh, Brother Heath was mentioning about those that are in darkness and how God has kept them in darkness. And then Brother Paul is reading about those who he has elected and called to be sons and daughters of God. And those and how their life transpires from that point forward after being called. These are really important scriptures that actually go with the sermon title today. Now, I did not pull from the words of consecration to develop the sermon. This is, again, exegetically, we just happen to be in this spot, and it happens to be that these set of scriptures are here, and they're tying in beautifully with the scriptures that I'm going to be mentioning this morning as well as preaching on. But it is important for us to just not become lax. It can be very easy, as it can be to just come in and glaze over and let the work happen up here. Uh, it can be easy. So just be diligent to not, let that allow, to not allow that to happen to yourself. We don't want this to become a vain repetition. We want to be able to be engaged in our liturgy. And it was just pointed out to me as I was listening to the scriptures this morning that how beautiful it is that God just works it together. Right? <laughs> I didn't do any of that. I just had the scripture verse that I have been uh, having the wonderful duty of delivering, and it just happens to tie in with the words of consecration. So uh, I was darked, darkened to that purpose that God had this morning. Right? But God knew all that is from the beginning all the way to the end. He knows it all. Right? And so particularly in speaking of darkness, you know, for those who go to any large event, public event, uh, such as fair, and it doesn't matter which county you're in, uh, you're going to see darkness. You're going to see lots of darkness walking around on two legs. Uh, there's darkened hearts. There is foolishness that have been bound up in children, as the scripture says, and then it grows into full adults of just foolish adults saying ridiculous things publicly in the presence of little ones. And it's just... It's just a testament to where this culture is in the world. Uh, there is darkness. And God is not unaware of that. Right? There is a prince who is the power of this air, of this world. Right? And who is that? Anyone want to tell me who that is? Who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan. That's right. Satan himself. He has tricked most of society into believing that there is no God or that he has darkened their eyes and made them blind? Or is it God who has made them blind? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Is Satan to take the blame for the blindness of the whole world and all of our culture? Would it even be fair to blame God for whatever blindness that he may have caused? Wouldn't God want everyone to see his goodness? And why would God blind them? If they saw his goodness, they would be converted. That's an inevitability. After all, isn't God's highest goal is to save every single soul on the planet? Right? What say you? Do you believe that? Many churches do. Please stand for the reading of the inspired word of God. 
in John chapter 12, starting in verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which was spoken. This is what Isaiah said. Lord, who would believe our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes and lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things, Isaiah said, when he saw the glory and sp- uh, the glory of the Lord and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, Christ, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praises of men more than they loved the praises of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes in him who sent me, and he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who has rejected me, he does not receive my words. He has has not received my words, has that day which is in store for him in judgment. For the word which I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have spoken on my own authority. I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who has sent me a command, what should I say and what should I speak? And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, why are there so many why are there so many in our time in our culture that have turned a blind eye to God? So we talked just a moment ago about the prince of the power of the air. Is it him who has beguiled them at work, in our schools, at colleges, our college institutions don't really even seem interested in educating our youth anymore it's simply to blast through a curriculum and go through an agenda to get funding for an additional year this is my opinion you may have a different opinion but i don't feel that the modern educational institutions are doing much of good as far as in the learning capacity they may be giving you that paper that gets you that job that you wanted but what you have learned while you're there is very little in comparison to colleges in the turn of our beginning of our country. Satan has fooled individuals into believing that they have been deceived by the Christian, that we are the simpletons. We don't know any better. God will not be mocked. He has established his throne above the enemies of this world. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four does say in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, 
lest, the word lest means in fear of, so we can read that again. He's blinded the minds of uh, them that believe in fear of the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, whom the image of God should shine unto them. So Satan is in fear that if the light has been shown unto the people, they will believe and they will be converted. That glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. If it should shine unto them, they would believe. So Satan has blinded the eyes of the individuals of this world. But that's only a half-truth. What the modern theological, squishy churches put forth is that all the scriptures are saying that it's Satan who has blinded the eyes of people. Some don't acknowledge that at all. Satan isn't even a part of their conversation ever. Some will believe that Satan has done all the wrong things, and some will believe that it's not him at all, and that was an old-time thing, and people aren't influenced by him anymore, and it's the what you heard last week in that Sparkle Creed. It's all about love, love, love. This is what the modern churches of today the modern mainstream, let me say that, because we're modern too, are we not? Right? We're here. Today's a modern day. We don't believe that. We would never stand for that. So we'll say the modern mainstream churches. There are a few mainstream churches that have held a good testimony amongst the great cloud of witnesses. So as I said, it's only a half-truth that Satan blinds them. What the Bible says is real, and it tells us real instructions much like a spell book that you would see in a Hollywood magical movie that if you say the right words when you open up the book and you say them in just the right inflection and just the right timing and the, the meter and the canter, if you say them just right, that spell is def definitely going to happen. Right? This is what you see in a movie. Uh, there's no spells out there. Please, everybody understand that. Little ones, no spells. It's not real. But in the movie, they show this. If you say it right, it's going to happen. Well, I'll tell you, if you pray to God, it's going to happen. So the movies have been trying to replicate what they know historically throughout the thread of time, that if you do something right, good things are going to come about. If you do something with the intended outcome, that outcome is going to happen. Can we all agree to that? If you farm your property properly, you're going to get a good outcome. You might have to deal with rains or droughts, but you're going to get, if you do it right, you're going to get something good, even if it's a learning curve. So the Bible does give us real instructions, and all throughout history, the films have tried to convey this truth in Scripture, but they're not concerned with the truth of Scripture. They are underneath a cosmic law that they can't explain themselves. They operate as God has said to operate all throughout history. They don't understand that they're being used of God either. There is a good and there is an evil. And then good does always win over evil. Movies have been trying to show this for a very long time. Now, the sermon isn't about movies, but we're just, we're just parking here for a moment. Film has tried to show, and it, because they've taken it from books, because books and storytelling have tried to show historically that good always triumphs over evil. 
And then there's always that moment within the book or within the movie that the good is being pressed down and the enemy is overcoming. You've seen it in every single movie that has a battle between good and evil. They clash. It's harsh. It's sparked. And then at some point, the enemy is overtaking them. And oh no, all is lost. And Aslan roars. And then all is restored. It is the story of time. Good versus evil. Good will always win out. You may have a few battle scars along the way during this battle. Jesus told us that you may be affected, but there will be no casualties in this battle. According to John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, this is where Christ is saying that the Father has given me the people, those that are mine, those that are elect, God has given me these people, and there is nothing that can be plucked them out of my hand. And then he backs it up with an even further authority and says, they are my father's people, and no one will pluck them out of his hand. So it is an impossibility, impossibility, for a casualty to happen during this time. You will get scraped and cut and bruised and maybe even lifelong scars during this battle, but you will not be removed from the battle, and you will not die, and you will have victory in the end. And why? Because God has chosen it that way. Because he wins in the end, and we are his people. Calvin has a few things to say about this. If you ever would read his commentaries on this particular section, he says that the eyes have been blinded and the hearts have been hardened. This passage is taken from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, where the Lord forewarns the prophet that all the time and instruction and the labor that he's putting in will amount to nothing. They will not believe. Their ears have been stopped. Their eyes have been blinded. And who has done this? The Lord. The Lord has blinded the eyes and has stopped their ears from hearing. And why? We see in the reference to the scripture, but here, fast forward from Isaiah's time, he's referencing so that they would not hear and that they will not believe and be converted. Does that even sound Christian? Jesus is saying, I don't want them to be converted or healed. Is that something that we could imagine could even be true? The scripture puts it forth very plainly. Jesus is referencing Isaiah when he says, they are in darkness, they have been blinded. It is God who has blinded them. It is God who has stopped their ears. And why? All because he doesn't want them to see the goodness of God and be healed. Right now, in this room, which you cannot see, there are radio waves that are going back and forth. It, this whole room is filled with radio waves. And the only way you can figure out what those radio waves are is to hoist up an antenna and turn a receiver to a specific frequency, and you're going to pull in whatever radio station you want to listen to. But always, at all times, those radio waves are here. Some stronger and some weaker until you get into other areas and they become stronger. Those radio waves are ever present. 
The goodness of God is ever, ever, ever present. And the only thing that stops every single soul on this earth from going to heaven is the fact that their eyes have been blinded, either by Satan, because he doesn't want them, in 2 Corinthians it says, he does not want them to see the goodness of God so that they would be converted. And then right here Jesus is saying, We've blinded them so that they cannot see the goodness of God so that they will not be healed. That may sound harsh to you, but if you understand the grouping of people who they are referencing, you would understand this is a group of people who are vehement haters of God. But the reality remains, if we had the power within ourselves to walk up to someone, let's just use Ben for a moment. He's a massive hater of God in society. Not that you are, but I'm just... Everything about him hates God. And if I had the power through some supernatural way of just going up to him and, and removing his blindness glasses, and he could immediately see the goodness of God, he would immediately repent and be converted in his heart. Throughout Scripture, we have doctrines that teach us how we are to believe. One of them is the doctrine of election. According to the world and where it's going and our responsibility in delivering the gospel. I don't know if he is a vehement hater of God. So I can't say, I see how much hatred in his heart he has towards God. Look, how ridiculous he looks, the way he dresses, the way he shaves and dyes his hair and puts things all through his face and his ears. And he must be such a hater of God. God could never do a thing with that man. I don't know that God can't. I don't know that he's not a part of the elect. So it's my responsibility as a servant of Christ is to deliver the gospel to him and see what God's going to do. I can't make him converted. I could teach him a hundred Bible studies, just as Isaiah did in chapter 6, where God said, it doesn't matter how much labor you put into this. It doesn't matter how much instruction you give them. Their hearts have been hardened, and they will not see. Their eyes have been blinded, and they will not understand. So my responsibility, your responsibility, is to deliver the goodness of the gospel in hopes that they will receive and they will respond and that they will do something with that, whether we ever see that with our eyes or not. That's our job. We're just casting out the sower, throwing out the seeds. It's not his job to bring the rain. It's not his job to cultivate and make the nutrients in the earth happen. He does his part, his labor, and God does all of the wonderfulness that brings forth the fruit. The modern mainstream churches want you to believe that everyone and anyone can be saved if you just tell them the good news. The reality is they can be saved. But also side of reality, they won't be saved. Not all. Not all that hear the gospel will be saved. And so we don't know who will and who won't. And this is our responsibility of not judging. I have seen some of the absolute most craziest testimonies of people who I would never think to turn their heart to Christ. I just watched an interview uh, during this week 
with the lead guitarist from a heavy metal group called Korn. You look at this man and you would never think this guy is going to grace the doorstep of heaven. And he's giving his testimony about someone who told him to try Jesus and see if he would change his life or not. And he went home and he prayed to God and his life changed. Not in that moment. It wasn't one of those kind of testimonies. But he said in the weeks to come, it was very evident of God's love for him. And he's been converted. I wouldn't even think to offer it to him. He's too scary looking. Like this is the kind of guy you walk the other side of the street when he's coming down your path. He's just not the kind of guy you would go, that's a blood-bought saint of Christ. Look at him. He's cookie cutter. He's got his hair parted just right. He's, he's got it. I mean, there's all things pointing Baptist to him right there. He is the image. That's not our role. That's not our responsibility to make that judgment call. That's up to God. You may take someone who looks entirely perfect and they will never know Christ because they are too proud about their images that they're trying to put forth. We just can't make that determination and say, this one yes, this one no. Maybe her. We'll work with her for a little bit. You have to give it to whoever you can because God has, as Paul was reading, there he is, as Paul was reading from the Scripture section, that God has called the people to be His sons and daughters. God blinds people. And you will not remove their scales. Their scales will not fall based on your effort, on your labor. Take them through the amount of Bible studies and they still may not. But still offer to give a Bible study because they may. And you just don't know. This is where we touch the Scriptures of judge not. Because we just don't know. It's not our role. It's not our responsibility. Jesus told them that if everyone sees the light, they would not dwell in darkness. If they didn't believe in Him, then they were condemned already. Not because He came into the world to condemn them. Because they didn't believe in the One who sent Him in the first place. So they're already haters of God. God will do what He needs to do with them if He brings them along or not. But Christ was very sensitive to say, their eyes have been blinded and their ears are, do not have understanding and their hearts are hardened. He is speaking of the Pharisees here. This isn't just the average run-of-the-mill person in the market. Could be. They may be a hater of God in their own right. But He is speaking very specifically about the Pharisees. Does that mean every Pharisee could never go to heaven? Is that? Give me a show of hands if you think if you're a Pharisee, you just aren't going to heaven. I mean a Pharisee of that time, not today. Okay, so, so nobody really believes that. Good, good. Because there were many Pharisees that did believe in Christ and were converted. And Scripture does tell us that. They are just, in this particular section, he is referring to those that would not And the reason why they would not is because they feared men and they feared being kicked out of the synagogues. They feared losing their status more than offending God. I wish that we would never be there ourselves. We see in our own culture that when people are hating God, which isn't new, people have hated God in every culture going back to Adam's children. 
This isn't new. But what is new, newer, is that churches have become haters of God as well, and they are imposters of Christians. They are pushing themselves as being Christian, and nothing about them is Christian at all. They are against the scriptures of God, they are against the Holy Spirit, and they will sit up there in, at their pulpits, and they will tell everyone else in their congregation to be all-inclusive and all-loving to all creatures in every way. And this is a very, very, very bad thing. Our future is at an intersection. Our future, which will then be history, looking back at us. We'll look and say, what did the church do? We see where it has failed and fallen off. There are very influential people that are choosing to go and be Muslim because at least they believe in what they say. They look at the modern church and say, they don't even believe what they once taught. They have relegated themselves. They have bowed down so that their necks would be stepped on. I don't want any part of that. Is that a part of a church that we want to be a part of? Absolutely not. We have to stand for what God says. This doesn't mean you need to go A-frame on the street corner and say, every transgender is going to hell. We know that's not the case. We, we don't know who is going to go or not. But we also can't stand for the fact that people are saying it's right and it's okay and it's good and it's decent and you should let your toddlers do that too. This is where we need to stand for what Scripture has to say. So last week we got the call to masculinity, right? Sorry, ladies, you just had to endure that. You don't get to be a part of that call. <laughs> but you get to enjoy the benefits of your men rising up to that call and to your fathers rising up to that call. And we're going to fail along the way, and that's okay. But we encourage one another. When I say it's okay, right? It's okay in battle to lose, right? Because you're still going to gain ground. It's not okay if you just take the defeat and wither away and say, I can't do this. You take your battle scars and you just keep moving forward. So last week we got that call to masculinity. Uh, this week what I'd like to do is actually call you to Christianity. To stand up for biblical Christianity. Many of us work secular jobs. Some can work remotely and they're not in the workspace as much. In my, in my office, we have a, a gay woman who is married and has children, and it's just the weirdest thing. And it's never talked about, and that's fine. It's the office. It's, it's not the church, right? It's not the place to put her down, because the moment you put her down, everyone will rise up in defense of this one, and you will be snuffed out real quick. There may be a time for that, for you to stand in such a way. But if you stand for what is holy and right and pure, your image in which you are putting Christ forth, the image of Christ, not your image, the image of Christ will shine through you, and then the image of the culture will also shine through others. And we know the scripture where it says, greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. They're going to have their time where it looks like the enemy is overtaken. But if you stand back and you look at the grand scheme of all things, you see, God has been in control and he's been winning the battle all along. 
God is in control of the Ratliff sunroom. Didn't even have that on the radar to get that fixed. Or maybe they did, just financially weren't ready to do that, but knew it was coming up at some point. Could have caused a lot of problems. Could have fallen in. Somebody could have got hurt. But God said, I'm going to let this thing happen. This individual is not going to be in contract anymore. We're going to have new individuals. And these new individuals are going to take care of this for them in a way that they didn't even think was going to happen. So it may seem that we are losing ground as a church, collectively, worldwide. But when you step back and you see what God is doing, you're going to see the hand of God in all of that. You're going to see that he is the one who wins. And that this modern, squishy church can't last. God will not allow it to last. Those that stand for what's right and true, they will last. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning, God. We do pray that you give us eyes to see and, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, there are many, many wonderful things to be seen in Scripture. Sometimes they're very easy to receive. Sometimes they're a little more difficult and abrasive. It's a, it's a jagged pill that we swallow. We feel that going down. Nonetheless, Lord, you are in control of all things, and we take rest in that, knowing that no matter how hard something is to apply to our life or to understand or to convey to people who have contrary ideas, no matter how hard that may be, Father, you already have won. You won thousands of years ago. It was in your mind to have Christ come and defeat the enemy, and the enemy has already been defeated. Yes, he's here and he's doing something. But it's his lot in life to be defeated. He was created to be defeated. Lord, let us rest in the fact that you have all things under control. Let us, Lord, pray to you for the strength, Lord, to be willing to open our mouth and to testify of your glorious gospel to anyone that we come in contact with. And let you do the work. And let us not be discouraged and hindered because we didn't see immediate outcomes. It's up to you, Lord, to cause the rain to fall. It's up to you, Lord, to produce the fruit. Father, we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.